Good, I heard y'all grumbling. Um, it is my privilege once again, I think. Oh, there you are. Okay. It's my privilege once again to introduce to you for a second time. Now, it's been a couple of years already since uh, Carlos and Tavia uh, have come up to uh, dedicate their first son. Now they got another one. And uh, so we're going to have them come up right now. Hey, trick outfit, dude. Oh, hey. <clears throat> okay, Carlos and Tavia. Uh, now, some of you may remember a couple years ago when they came up with, um, with Colby. Um, I had the privilege of meeting them when they asked me if I would be available to officiate at their wedding, which I was available, which was a wonderful time. And uh, since then, they've been busy. I think somewhere during the course of the, the message talked about how marriage is to produce children. They grew up to love the Lord, and they took that to heart. They must have taken notes on that one. And uh, here they are to do it again. But uh, we got Colby here today. I mean, Caleb here today. Colby's over there. Caleb, Colby. You know, the people that do that, you know, they name their kids at the same thing. It just really messes people like me up. Anyway, but anyway, uh, they're here to, uh, to bring uh, Caleb before us. And uh, basically, for those who aren't familiar with child dedications, uh, they're different than some of us who have backgrounds where you did infant baptism or whatever. We believe that, you know, a child dedication really is a parent's dedication to uh, do the things that they're supposed to do in raising their children. It's obvious that uh, Caleb's not in a position to make too many decisions at this point other than point and uh, let him know when he needs changed and uh, some of the things he likes to do and doesn't like to do. And, uh, but until then, it's their responsibility to, uh, to do the things. Hey, man, that's a cool hat. <laughs> to uh, do the things that uh, they're supposed to do as parents. It's kind of a sad day, too, because uh, Carlos and Tavia, uh, Carlos works for a major corporation who have been getting a lot of publicity recently in the newspaper because the owner of their company has made millions and millions of dollars. And so what he's decided to do is open another facility and he's asked Carlos to move to where exactly? Uh, outside of Carson City, Nevada. Outside of Carson City, Nevada. So they're going to be leaving in a couple of weeks. So this is kind of... Uh, you know, a, 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 a sad moment of goodbye, but on the other hand, it's an exciting opportunity for them as a family and for, uh, from a business standpoint. So, uh, Carlos and Tavia, you know, the Bible says to train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. You know, and there's a lot of different interpretations of what that means, but, but I believe that it means specifically in light of what the book of Proverbs talks about, is training up our children in the way they should go, and the way is a specific way, and that's the way of God. In God's way, God's way of living, God's way of doing things, uh, to train him to grow up to love God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, to, to teach him to do the things that are right and to teach him the difference between right and wrong and how we need that in our society today. But the bottom line is as parents, you have a responsibility to train him up in God's way in the way that God designed him to go so that when he's old, he'll never depart from that. And uh, is that your desire as a, as a father and a mother to do that? Okay, let me, come here, buddy. Hey, where'd you get that hat? I bet you got that at the Nordstrom's men's sale, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Seen some of these. Anyway, let's, let's pray. Father, thanks for this uh, opportunity to be here again with Carlos and Tavia, to, uh, for them to come before you to dedicate themselves foremost to uh, loving you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to raise their family in a, in a godly way. God, we just thank you for children, that they truly are a blessing from the Lord that it's an awesome responsibility, but one that you tell us if we lack wisdom, that we can ask of you and you will give generously and, and above reproach, that you'll never turn us away. And so it's our prayer that Carlos and Tavia will continue, first of all, as a husband and a wife, to love each other as they should love one another, and then to love their children as God would have them to be loved. And we just pray that in their move that uh, you'll be with them, that you'll guide them, direct them, that you'll plug them into a group of people that can encourage them in their walk with you and also with their marriage and their family. And we just praise you for that and ask you to bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Say bye. Do that yet? All right. Oh, yeah. Like the camera, huh? One more? All right. Hang on, hang on. Let me give you that. Thanks. Go on. Yeah, you know, in fact, you know, where you'll be living, there's not going to be a whole lot else to do. <laughs> so there you go. All right.
Okay, for those of you who've been with us throughout this series, you realize that um, we're coming around the uh, last turn and heading down the home stretch. And um, this series has focused our attention on choosing joy as an attitude for living life. Um, right about now, a few of you had it up to about here with choosing joy. You know, I heard that when you were asked to stand up and sing. You know, I was waiting for you to start the boo or, or to get ugly there for a second. Good thing you didn't have anything to throw. But, uh, you know, some of you are like, I'm a little sick and tired of trying to choose joy and have a good attitude. And I can understand that and appreciate that. And, uh, you know, some, I think some of you even think that you and I don't live on the same planet. You know, doesn't this guy live in reality land? I mean, where does he live? Does he live in fantasy land somewhere? It's kind of like the story I heard about a man who, uh, he goes to a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist asks him, uh, what, what seems to be the problem? The man says, well, you know, I seem to be suffering from a delusion. He said, delusion? What type of delusion? He said, well, my family thinks that I think that I'm a dog. And the psychiatrist said, well, that sounds like a pretty serious problem. Why don't you go ahead over there and lay on the couch so we can talk about it? The man stops. He says, well, I can't do that. He said, well, why not? The man says, because I'm not allowed up on the furniture. There you go. All righty. Yeah, boy. Hey, how about that? Let's see some smiles out there this morning. Oh, my goodness gracious. But seriously, um, you know, one of the things I love, to be, love about being a civilian, that's when I was doing our Rams Bible studies, the guys always asked me, what's it like being a civilian? And, uh, you know, my standard answer was, hey, you'll, you'll find out soon enough. But uh, one, one of the things that, you know, I like about being a civilian as opposed to some paid professional minister is that I'm no different than the rest of you. I know sometimes people think that, you know, a person that does this is different than somebody else, and I'm really not. I mean, I'm no different than the rest of you. You know, I don't live on some, you know, island that's removed from reality where, you know, love is abundant and there's a soft breeze of joy gently blowing through the palm trees as I lay on a hammock and sip one of those drinks with umbrellas in it. Uh, you know, I, I don't live on that island. Uh, I live where you, you live, and uh, we both live in the same world, and sometimes the world that we live in can be pretty harsh and uh, filled with harsh realities that make this whole thing of, of choosing joy a difficult thing at times. You know, I know what it's like, I know what it's like uh, to be married for, you know, we've been married 21 years. And I know what it's like for Linda and I have to, to make adjustments throughout our marriage, to, to work hard at making our marriage what it's supposed to be, uh, not to give up, not to bail out, uh, to overcome obstacles that are thrown our way. So I, I know how much fun that can be. Um, I know what, how much fun it is to, to raise three children from infancy to adulthood. Uh, we've got two that are now teenagers. Our oldest daughter is now married and has her own family. And so we're adjusting to that, and sometimes that harsh reality makes it tough to choose joy. Um, you know, I, I know what it's like to, in our own family to experience some of the devastation that occurs with divorce and how difficult that is and what it does to families and, and how it tears them apart. Or to have family members that are struggling with drug or alcohol addictions and what that does. Um, to have worked for a large corporation and, and experienced uh, what it means to be divested <laughs> and, uh, you know, or downsized and, and uh, you know, what, how much fun that can be and going out and looking for another job. And then, to, and, and also with my partner and I now that we've started our own business four years ago, know the joys of uh, starting up a company um, and all the difficulties that go along with that of, you know, undercapitalized or finding working capital or, you know, or not taking any salaries and living off of savings for a long period of time and just really struggling in that area to, to meet your customers' needs, to meet employees' needs, uh, to, to meet the, the state and government requirements of insurance requirements and all that goes along with that. You know, to meet payroll, to pay your payables, you know, to do a good job for someone and have them decide just out of a whim that they're just not gonna pay anybody and then have to go through our judicial, non-judicial system and, uh, you know, and experience all the joys that go along with that. So, you know, I, I'm really no different than, than anybody else. And I realize when I challenge you to choose joy that I'm not saying it in a flippant manner at all. I'm not just saying it's easy either. But what I am saying is that it's a choice. And it has a lot to do with our attitude. You know, some of us, I, I like the, the, the illustration that I heard not too long ago on being in construction. I appreciate it, you know, but there were two laborers who were out working and they were hauling bricks in a wheelbarrow. And one of the guys said, what are you doing? And then one guy said, man, I'm hauling bricks. 
I'm just taking all these bricks from this pile and I'm hauling them over in that pile. And they asked the second guy, what are you doing? He said, well, hey, you know what? I'm building a great cathedral. He said, you're building a great cathedral? He said, yeah, that's what we're in the process of doing. One man is hauling bricks, but the other man didn't lose sight of what they were there doing. They were there as part of a team of people who were doing something beyond just hauling bricks, but they were going to build a building that was going to house people whether it was a business office, whether it was a hospital or a church or school or whatever, he never lost sight of the fact that, hey, I'm here as a part of a team of people who are doing something more than just hauling bricks for a living. And when he drove by that building downstream, and we do that many times, we drive by a building and we point and we say, hey, you know what? There are people in that building who are comfortable, and we know they're comfortable because we don't hear from them. But they're comfortable because we put heating and air conditioning in that building. And it drives my family nuts Everywhere we go. Hey, see that over there? Oh, I know, Dad. I know, Dad. You guys put air conditioning in that building. Say, like, hey, now don't, be, now, don't be getting flipping about that. You see those clothes that you're wearing? You got to stop and thank those people in there. I mean, and so, you know, there's an attitude that we have to deal with, and it has to do with how can we learn to choose joy? And I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you a little secret about, you know, my life. What I have learned is that there's joy, and I, I don't know how else to put this, but there's joy in anticipating your future. Or something like that. There you go. But there's, what, what's the matter? Or in, in, in anticipating your future. <laughs> you know, you just can't find good help anymore. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> but fortunately... You know, fortunately, uh, the guy who does these overheads for me said, hey, listen, we need to throw out a typo, a spelling thing every now and then, and that way you'll know by the response whether anybody's paying attention to these overheads or not. <laughs> so, you know, there you go. So we know that uh, you are, and that theory worked, and uh, there you go. So there's joy in anticipating your future, and there's also joy in anticipating your future. Let me give you an illustration. Now, some of you, it's going to be a little harder than others, but do you remember when you were young? <laughs> I mean, you know, pull out the photo albums or whatever. But now, do you remember when you were young? Do you remember anticipating things in the future that were yet to happen and how excited you were? You remember that? Anybody remember that? Anybody at all remember that? Oh, good. Well, okay, let me ask you something. Okay, what, what did you anticipate happening in the future that you were excited about the present? What? Okay, there you go, the birth of your child. No, and, and there's an anticipation of something that you go, okay, you know what? I can't wait till this date, and it makes today a little more bearable. Now, if you're a husband of a woman who is feeling pretty miserable, don't even get involved in this conversation with her <laughs> about how she should choose joy and look toward to the birth of the child and that really today it's a lot more bearable because you know it's not going to last forever. Don't even, even mention it to it. So I'm just talking to you ladies out there whenever you're pregnant, you just remember that on your own because I just told your husband never to mention that to you because you go like this. For you it doesn't take forever. <laughs> okay, sorry. Choose joy, honey. There you go. So don't even do that. Okay, what else do you look forward to? Vacation. Yeah, every kid, in, every kid in school, man, I remember going to school all year long thinking, oh, only 320 more days to summer vacation. You know, or now we're down to 318, whatever. But it was like you look forward to those events and you say, man, I can't wait till summer vacation. All right? What else do you look forward to? Getting married. Every woman in the world that wants to be married looks forward to the day, right, ladies? To the day they can't wait to their wedding day. And every guy that they're marrying can't wait till the honeymoon. <laughs> and that's kind of the way it works out. Hey, the wedding day, the honeymoon. All right. You need to look forward to it. We all got something to look forward to. You can anticipate it. You can be excited about it. You can have joy in the present. And what keeps you going through all the planning of the wedding is that you can't wait till it gets there. Because if you can get through all the planning, see, and that's for the, one thing I'll never be able to understand. How anybody can go through all the planning of a wedding and then later get divorced? I mean, if you can get through the planning of a wedding, marriage is easy after that, you'd think, but, you know, we lose focus sometimes. 
All right, what else do we look forward to? Retirement. Yes. Anybody else out there looking forward to retirement? Hey, you know, there's a whole bunch of people looking forward. See, I guess the point is this. You know, how many of you couldn't wait till you graduated from high school? If you only knew then what you know now. I can't wait to graduate from college, get out there and get a real job. Graduate is like, oh man, college was a blast. Can't wait to graduate from high school, get out there, boy, get on my own, have a real job. Oh man, high school days, that were the best days of my life. If I had to do it all over again, how many of you said that? If I had to do it all over again, man, I would enjoy every day one at a time. Because this is great. Somebody else picking up all the tabs. Somebody else feeding you. Somebody else clothing you. Oh, this is great, man. This is wonderful. High school is great. But everyone can't wait to get out of there. You know, we're always in a hurry to move to the next level. Some of you, and I know this is impossible to believe for some of you, but some of you actually even anticipated with great joy a birthday. Now, I know some of you are going like this, not no more, but, but you did then. It's like, how many couldn't wait till you turned 16? Uh, man, why? I wanna, man, I want to drive. Can't wait to get my license. Can't wait to turn 16. Can't wait to turn 21 or where we lived or whatever, 18, so I can go drink or whatever. I'm just saying, those are things people look forward to. What, 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 what else do people look forward to? Uh, can't wait till this time. Was it at 10 o'clock yet? <laughs> no, not yet. Hey, 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 hey. Where are we going here today? But, you know, we all look forward to things. You know, when, when, when I played football, one of the things that I know guys that in training camp in the NFL, man, they got two-a-day practices for three or four weeks in the summertime. And you know what? They cannot wait till that first game. Oh, man, I used to live for the regular season. You live for that first game. Because the only thing that could get you through two-a-day practices in Pennsylvania in 100-degree heat and 90% humidity was knowing that it's not going to last forever. And to anticipate or anticipate <laughs> the future, and it could bring joy to the present. And I think that's really what we're, we're here to discuss, you know, because a lot of us, we don't have any joy in the present because we don't, we don't anticipate with joy what lies ahead. You know, we've lost that sense of excitement. And it's sad to think that we don't have that type of enthusiasm that we had when we were a kid. You know, that we couldn't wait till summer, couldn't wait till a birthday, couldn't wait till Christmas, couldn't wait till Thanksgiving break, couldn't wait till the regular football season started, couldn't wait till baseball games began, couldn't wait till our wedding day, couldn't wait till our honeymoon. We couldn't wait, man. We were excited and we were anticipating it and we were looking forward to it. And then unfortunately... Many of us get to the point where we are now where we can't even think of anything that we can't wait to happen. There's nothing to anticipate any longer in the future. And so what happens in the present is that we get really discouraged and frustrated and there's no joy in our life. And so what I want to try to challenge you to understand is that there is joy in anticipating the future if there's something ahead that we can look forward to. And what the Apostle Paul does in this letter that we've been going through, these people at Philippi, is that he helps us in the context of what we're discussing. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. But in this particular session, we're going to see that he's saying, hey, look, folks, sometimes the way that we have joy in the present is by anticipating the future and understanding what lies ahead. And in Philippians chapter 3, he lays this out. He, he, he helps us to understand this truth. Philippians chapter 3, the last time we got together, we left off at uh, verse 13. I want to pick it up there and carry it through the end of the chapter, but we read this. He says, Brethren, not that I, brethren I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing that I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward that lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect or mature, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. He says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, 
whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. He says, but for us, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown, so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. In this particular passage, we remember last time we got together that in verses 13 and 14, Paul gives us a healthy philosophy of life. He helps us to understand that, you know what, if you're going to enjoy life today, if you're going to have good attitude today, if you're going to, you know, think right today, he says that basically there are four things that will be true. Number one, he says that, you know what, we're looking for progress here, not for perfection. We're looking for progress, not perfection. You notice he says, brethren, I don't regard myself even as having laid hold of it. Sir, I haven't arrived yet. I haven't laid hold of it yet. I'm not perfect yet. I still have faults. I still make mistakes. But one of the things that he's trying to press and help us to understand, he's saying that, you know what? But, but I'm making progress. He says his goal was to know Christ and to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. He says, I don't know him completely. I don't know what God can do in my life totally, but I know what he can do now versus what I knew he could do a year or two ago. And I know that, you know what, I'm not the same person. You know, I always tell my wife, I say, hey, you know what, I, I'm not perfect and I'll probably never will be this side of heaven. But one thing that I am glad of, or I have joy in knowing, is that, you know what, I'm not the guy that I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not the guy I used to be. And we lose sight sometimes in the present of what God has already done in the lives of many of us. We're still looking to the future, anticipating that future, but the problem is it's robbing us of the joy in the present because we haven't arrived yet. Man, I'll tell you what, and, and you can ask my wife, she can say the same thing, thank God he's not who he used to be. Am I what she would like me to be? Probably not. Not yet. And the same is true with all of us. But we're not who we used to be, and there's a lot to be thankful for there. It's progress, you know, not perfection. He's saying not that I've laid hold of it. I haven't attained it yet, neither have you. But we need to recognize and understand it. The second thing he says is that, you know what? But one thing that I do, I forget what lies behind. I've made mistakes in my past, and I'm not going to let them destroy me today. I, I, I've made mistakes in relationships with people. I've made mistakes in business. I've made mistakes with my children. I've made mistakes with my wife. I've made mistakes with personal things that I've done. And you know what? And I'm not going to dwell on those things. I'm not going to let those things destroy me. Anybody that, that knows anything about life realizes you'll never be successful and move ahead until you can forget what lies behind. One of the things that it's an athletic term really is what he's using here. He's saying, you know what? Don't look back. And I'm sure he was referring to at the time when this was written, there were athletic games that took place all throughout, you know, uh, Rome and Greece and Ephesus and, and the Olympic Games took place there and we've got them coming up. And it was a great illustration, but what he's saying is that, you know what, hey, I, when you're running a race and the object of the race is to win and to move ahead, you, you don't look behind you to see who's coming up behind you. You never look back. You focus your attention on the finish line or where you're heading. You know, you tell a guy, you know, that plays a sport. Hey, listen, so what? You struck out three times this game. Hey, you know what? You don't look back at your last three at-bats. If you do, look back to learn something from it, but you're going up to bat again. Now, what I want you to do is just concentrate on this at-bat. Forget what lies behind. Press on to what lies ahead. Hey, you know what? You can strike out three times in a game, but you know what? The, the next at-bat you have, you can be the hero. You can win the game. And everybody forget about those last three strikeouts. But you hit the ball, you put it in play, you do what you're supposed to do, and all of a sudden the crowd stands up, cheers, and goes wild. Why? Because they just remember you for the last thing that you did. See, and that's so true in life. Don't look back. You know, I, I remember when I, was, when I was growing up in Pennsylvania, and the Pittsburgh Steelers were one of my favorite football teams, and we were watching a game. And one of the guys, and I can't even remember his name, one of the guys for the Steelers, he caught a, touch, he caught a pass and he was running for a touchdown. You know, and he started to look behind him to see who was chasing him. You know how sometimes those guys do that? You know, they'll look over the shoulder and they'll hold the ball out like this, start high-stepping, you know, start doing some of this kind of stuff, and then turn around and no one was there. Guy turns around, spikes the ball. Ah! But the crowd doesn't stand up and cheer. Nobody stands up and cheers. You know why no one stands up and cheers? He spiked the ball on the five-yard line. Now, 
There's something fundamentally wrong with that. He didn't even get to the end zone. And he spiked the ball on the five-yard line. The ball rolled through the end zone. It was a touchback. The other team got the ball on the 20, and they took it the other direction. Well, you think he learned a lesson? I did hope he learned a lesson. And the lesson is, don't worry about what's behind you. Just move ahead and look forward. We went back when the Rams invited us back for their first game in St. Louis. We went back, and they had a rookie that was on the team, and I met him in chapel, right? And, uh, and well, the funniest thing about it was he was in chapel, and the message that, that I gave was in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And it says something like, uh, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, uh, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us. And basically the whole thing is, and let us fix our eyes on, on the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. So the whole message had to do with, hey, don't worry about what lies behind. Press on to what lies ahead. You're, at the, you're looking for the finish line. You're keeping your eyes on Jesus, and you're moving straight. You don't worry about anything. This guy was a chap, right? So he ends up, he gets a punt. He catches a punt, and he's going back for a punt return. And, and, and he's running and doing the same thing. He's zigzagging down the field, and all of a sudden he goes like this. And he looks over his shoulder, and he starts losing his balance. And he starts going this way, then he starts going this way, then he starts going this way, and finally a guy catches him and tackles him. And I'm thinking to myself, where was he in the morning when we were talking about, don't look back? And everybody in the stadium was sitting there going, what's he doing? What is he doing? And he was zigzagging back and forth. He lost his balance because he was looking behind him. You know, some of us are losing our balance and we're not enjoying today because we keep looking behind us. And some of us want to forget what lies behind, but somebody around us doesn't want us to forget it. So what I would do is encourage you guys to, to work out a deal. I'll agree to forget what lies behind in your life if you agree to forget what lies behind in my life. And then we can move forward together. See, and that's what he's talking about. You can't move forward until the past is over. So he says, now, he says, let us press on or move ahead toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, hey, we've all had screwed up lives, but thank God that God forgives us through Jesus Christ and he forgets about our past. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he's removed our transgressions. So now we move on and we forget about what lies behind. Now we're going to move forward to what lies ahead. And the word that's used here also is an athletic term or a word that's used of pressing forward. And it has to do with the Greeks used it when somebody was out for a hunt. There was a sense of urgency when they pressed on to find that which they were looking for in the way of game. And the urgency was this. If you didn't kill that animal, you didn't go to Ralph's to pick up a steak. I mean, when you came home and you didn't press on and there wasn't a sense of urgency and you walked in the front door... And everyone was standing there like this. How'd it go out there, Daddy? Uh, nothing? We're going to eat nothing again tonight? You know, when, when you have that to look forward to, he's saying that, hey, these people understood what it meant to press on with a sense of urgency. And he's telling us the same thing. We need to have a sense of urgency about forgetting our past and moving on to the future and having a good attitude in the meantime while we're doing it. And we need to recognize that. In 1 Corinthians 9, if you've got your Bibles, flip back there for a second. I love, see, you know, you know, the thing that I love about the Bible is that God is such a huge sports fan. <laughs> that's how we know, that's why there's all these male pronouns in the Bible. That's how we know God is a man. <laughs> because he loves sports. 1 Corinthians 9, look at uh, verse 24. He says, don't you know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? He says, run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable reef, but we an imperishable one. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I buffet my body or discipline myself and make it my slave, lest possibly after I've preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. I like what he says. You know what? Everyone runs in the race, but only one's going to win. And so many of us are content to just say, well, I'm running in this race. You know what? The moment that you believe in Jesus Christ is the moment that he pays for your entry fee so you can now enter into, quote, the Christian race. He paid the fee. You go up to the scores table and you want to check in and there's a fee to run in the race. And you try to pull out all these achievements that you did. It's funny, we were at a, a meeting yesterday 
And, uh, and the guy that was running the meeting, you know, it was for a baseball booster club that we're putting together and trying to raise some funds and do some things to help the coaches and all this other stuff. But anyway, so the guy says, he's putting this, this golf tournament together and some other things, and, and he likes to help all different types of charities. And his comment during the meeting was, well, you know what, when I get, when I get up there at the gate, you know, and St. Peter's guarding the gate, you know, like St. Peter guards the gate of heaven to a lot of people, and St. Peter's guarding this gate, and he asked me why I should be, uh, he goes, man, I can't wait to list all these things that I've done down here on earth. See, and, you know, and he's got the same mentality that we talked about last time, and is that somehow or another I can work my way or do enough things that I'm going to bring my resume and say, look at all these good things that I did, and that's what's going to get me to heaven. So you go to the scores table and you say, hey, you know what, look at all the good things that I'm doing, and, and the per person, that, the God who's behind the scores table says, you know what, uh, none of those things are going to get you in the race. You say, well, here, I got some cash. That cash isn't going to get you in. Well, I got a resume of a long list of good things I've done. That's not going to get you in. And finally, you realize that since it's God's race and he's the one that's running it and he's the one that's in control of it, you have to ask him the question, well, how can I enter the race? He says, well, all you got to do is believe that I sent my son to die for you, that he paid the price when he died on the cross, and that that entry fee is now paid if you just believe that. If you would believe that uh, and, and tell me that you believe that, now I'll let you enter into the race. That's it, man. That's as simple in a nutshell as it gets. You got to ask yourself the question, when did I ever believe God and believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins? Because at that moment in time, the Bible says we become a child of God and that we now enter into this race. So he's saying that now if you've entered into the race and he gives you your bib and you put it on, and you, and, and, which is a little number for those of you who don't know, uh, you know, I think you're thinking it's a dr dribble bib or something, uh, but it's a, it's a number that has, you know, your race number on it. And he gives you your number and you go and now you enter the race and now you're going to run the race. Well, everybody that came to the table and said, I believe in Jesus Christ now all enters into the race and we're all on this track and we're running the race. But one of the things he's trying to get across is there are going to be people who get on the track that are going to be content just to be on the track. That's good enough for me. Man, I'd rather be a janitor in hell than a, you know, a king, in, I mean, janitor in heaven than a king in hell. You know, and I, I just want to be there. I'm just glad to be there, just glad to be part of the race. And he's saying that everybody runs the race, but run so you win something. Run so you can anticipate a prize. And it has nothing to do with getting into the race because you can't get out on your own. It's by grace we're saved through faith. But once you're in the race, then run it and anticipate running in a way that you'll win something which has to do with God saying, well done, good and faithful servant, which has to do with God saying, hey, you know what? Stand before me on the Bema seat where the Bema seat was the judge's seat and Olympic athletes came to the judge's seat and the judge pronounced the times and said, hey, you came in first and you came in second and you came in third and here's your prize and come on and step up on the step and take hold of that which now you've won. See, God's people, believe it or not, we can anticipate one day where we will get rewards if we run in a way that we're going to win something. But some of us don't care about winning anything. We just don't have anything to anticipate because we're not doing anything. We're in the race. Oh, just in the race. Uh, do, do, do. Yeah, we're in the race. What are you going to win running like that? Oh, we're in the race, but I don't think I'm going to go over here and do this for a little bit. Oh, this sounds like fun. Oh, oh no, you know, I think I'm just going to sit down for a little while. Oh, I can't wait to retire because, you know, tired and retired. Okay. And, and he goes, man, he's saying run in a way you're going to win something. So you have something to look forward to. And the, and, the, and the idea as we go through this is, he says, look back to Philippians again. Look at verses 15 and 16. He's talking about growing up. He said, let us therefore, as many as are mature... None of us are perfect in the sense of not having any room for improvement, but those of us who are mature or are grown up have this attitude. And if anything, you have a different attitude, let, hey, God's going to reveal that to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. You know what he's saying? Hey, have this attitude. This attitude of what? This attitude that I want to run in a way that I'm going to win. I'm going to run in a way that I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to run in a way that God will be pleased with my life. I'm going to run in a way, and what he's saying here is that the way we run is by obeying the rules as we're running. We need to obey the rules. We can anticipate the future if we're obeying the rules today. But if you disobey the rules today, then you're going to be disqualified from winning a prize. It has nothing to do with whether you're in heaven or not. It has to do with whether you're going to win a prize or not or whether you're going to get a reward or not. I'll give you an example of Jim Thorpe, probably the, the greatest, one of the greatest athletes this country has ever known. He's in the Olympic Games and he wins gold medals and it finds out later on in 1912 Olympics that they find out later that he was disqualified because he didn't, he didn't, um, he didn't follow the rules. 
that he took money as an amateur athlete and he shouldn't have done it. He was playing on a baseball team and he took money for playing on a baseball team which was against amateur athletics and they found out later that, hey, you are disqualified because you broke the rules and now we're going to take your medals away from you. Fortunately, later on, they reinstated his gold medals. But what I want to get across is this. That was a man-made rule and man has the option of changing man-made rules. But God's rules aren't subject to man's changes. God says this is the way it is, that's the way it is, and there ain't nobody going to get together and change it. I don't care how many people we get together for a committee, it's not going to change what God says is right or wrong. So what he's saying is that you know, we need to grow up. Now the question is, what are we going to do on a day-to-day -day basis to make a difference? See, and one of the things that's sad is I look back on my life and I remember days where I was like, you know, I was always looking and anticipating what lies ahead to the detriment of what I was doing at the moment. You follow what I'm saying? This is very critical that you listen to me. We can, all, we can look forward to the future and anticipate it so much to the detriment of what we're doing today. I could look forward to playing in football games three weeks later and just grinning and bearing it on a day-to-day -day basis, or I can make that practice the best practice I ever had. I can make, you know, that moment the best moment I ever had. And what's so sad about living for the future is that many times it robs us of our present. So don't look forward to retiring and not enjoying what you do now because, I, you know, I hate to tell you this, but some of you are going to look forward to retiring and God's going to call you out of here before you get there. And what a sad way it is to live your life thinking that I can't wait till I don't have to work anymore so I could be retired. And then you have a heart attack and God says, this is it and you're done on the last day of your work. And the world looks and says, what a cruel fate of irony. And God's saying, hey, but it was appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. I had that planned from the beginning of time, and it's no, it wasn't a cruel fate of irony. That's just the way it was planned. And it's a shame the guy didn't enjoy his life because he was looking forward to his future because all he had to worry about was the present. And the Bible says, hey, don't be anxious for tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of his own. So obviously he missed out on something. Don't look forward so much to the wedding day and lose sight of the joy of anticipating and planning each and every moment along the way. Follow me? Okay, so here's what we're trying to do. What do you do in the meantime? Number one, respect and follow godly examples. While we anticipate our future, we have to live in the present. Now the question is, how do we live in the present and make it count? And this is what Paul says. He says, join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. What he's saying, join with others in following my example. Take note of those who live or walk according to the pattern that I gave you. In a nutshell, what he's saying is this. You and I need positive role models to follow. You say, I'm going to anticipate the future. I can't wait for the future. But you know what? I'm living today. I need to know what do I got to do today? How do I know what to do today? And he's saying, hey, here's how you know what to do in the present. You find some people in your life that you admire. They're ahead of you in whatever area of life it is that they're ahead of you. And you follow their example and you say, how can I become like you? One of the greatest areas of life to teach lessons, I believe, is athletics. I'll give you an example. When I was a kid growing up in Pennsylvania, one of the athletes that I admired the most was Roberto Clemente. They called him the great one. He was the greatest right fielder to ever play the game of baseball. He was awesome. And I grew up watching him play ball at Forbes Field. And I remember I had an aunt who took me to a baseball game, and we went to the game, and after the game, we were, at, we were out back where the players come out, and Roberto Clemente was walking down the sidewalk. And I was in awe, man, Roberto Clemente, oh my gosh. And my aunt said, well, go get his autograph, you know, and you always have those people in your life. And she was like one of the pushy people that did, hey, come on, let's go, let's go. And she's dragging me down the street. And, uh, and I turned, and I said, Mr. Clemente, can I have your autograph? And he knelt down, and I had this popcorn thing. I still got it. He had a popcorn holder, you know, and the pirates on it. You open it up. And anyway, fold it down, and he wrote his autograph on there. But the thing that impressed me was not just his baseball ability, but the gentleness, the humility, uh, the act of humility to kneel down, to get on a level of a little kid that's asking for his autograph, and then just write his name and hand it to you and smile. See, there was more to just being a great baseball player. But I'll tell you what, th that, that image was there for the rest of my life. 
that attitude that, hey, I'm not better than anybody else because I can play baseball better than someone else, but that I'm a human being and you are too and, and I've got compassion and, and I can't wait. You know, it was, it was before those days where I'm not signing anything because I, I should get 150 bucks for an autograph. You know, this was in the good old days, man, when people just, you know, wanted to do something for, to, to encourage another person. But man, I used to go out and we lived on a dead end street. You know, that's a, that's a non-fancy term for a cul-de-sac. And, um, you know, and, and you go and you pick up rocks. And man, I mean, he had this move that he'd make where he'd go into the corner and pick up a baseball and he'd just turn and he'd just throw it without even looking. And man, it would just be there like that. And I used to just grab rocks and I'd turn around and I'd fire at telephone poles. Sometimes I'd hit them, sometimes I wouldn't. And sometimes when I hit some other things, then I ran this other way, this way. And, uh, but but the, the, the point is, is that, you know what? I mean, it, there was, there was a, a, a role model there. And the thing that stood out was, as he was being interviewed at the end of his career, he was asked a question. He said, you know, uh, Roberto, at the end of your career, what are you going to do after baseball? And he had broken English because he's from Puerto Rico, and, and, you know, and, and he had a hard time with the media because they didn't really understand him. But, you know, he said, you know what? Well, w one thing that I'm going to do. He said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but if I'm a janitor or whatever it is that I am, I'll be the best janitor that the world has ever known. Wow. I'll be the best. I'm going to be the best. I'm the best right fielder in baseball, and I'm going to be the best janitor if that's what I'm going to do. And I, and I, you know, I stopped and asked myself the question. Some of us as Christians are running a race, really kind of casual, nonchalant. And we're not the best at anything we do. Can you say you're the best at what it is that you do? I'm the best employee this company has. I'm the best athlete on this field. There may be, more, there may be people who have more ability than me, but there's nobody that's going to give more effort than I will. There's no one who will have a better attitude than I will. There's no one who will work harder than I will because I'm dedicated to be the best. Because I'm in a race and I'm running and I'm running to please God. And I'm going to be pleasing to God because I'm giving everything that He's given me and I'm giving it to Him in return and I'm the best at what I do. Man, so many of us lose our effectiveness today because we're always anticipating what will be someday in the future at the expense and to the detriment of who we are at this moment in time. Are you the best husband you can be? Are you the best father you can be? Are you the best mother you can be? The best wife you can be? The best child you can be? The best student you can be? You know, we all need role models, people to look up to and say, I want to be like that person. In business, I want to be like that person because of their character and their integrity, not how much volume of business they do, not the cheap way that they get there and the way they cheat people and lie and steal. I don't want to be like that, but I want to be the best at whatever it is I can be. And that's what my goal is. That's what my aim is. That's what I press on for. There's a sense of urgency in my life to it. And not just to get by moment to moment. We all need role models, whether they're athletes or someone in academics. You look ahead and say, hey, how does this person do so well in school? Let me tell you something. Sit down with them and ask them, what are your work habits? What are your study habits? And, and, and you're going to find out real quickly that, you know what, to be the best in anything that you want to be the best in, it just takes a lot of hard work and discipline. And it takes a passion for what it is that you want to do. Whether it's athletics or whether it's to be a husband or father, whether it's in your family, whether it's whatever it is. But you know what Paul is saying here, and don't lose sight of this, he's saying this, you know what? In our relationship with God, I want to give it my best. And there are going to be people that God brings into my life who are ahead of me in their relationship with God. And I want to sit down and I want to ask them, how did you do it? How did you come from here to here? What's the secret? And you know what you're going to find the secret is? The same as in business, as in academics, as in athletics, and everything else in your life. You know what the secret is? First of all, I have a passion for God. I have a love for God. The first commandment, I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I don't really care what anybody else thinks about that. I love God and I have a passion for Him. 
And I have a sense of urgency in pursuing him. As a deer pants for the water's brooks, the psalmist says, so my soul pants for you. As a deer is thirsty and it's being chased by a hunter and it's dried out and it's parched. And I've been there from running marathons or whatever and your mouth is dry and you've got a cotton mouth and you can't wait to find water somewhere. And there's a thirst that you have that's just unquenchable and you've got to get to water. He's saying, as my soul pants for you, O Lord, just like that deer pants for the water's brooks. Man, you know what? Not many of us have that hunger and thirst for God, do we? We don't have it at all. But the thing is, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be content. You'll find joy today if you have a hunger and thirst for the things of God. How do you do it? First of all, I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, how else do you do it? Well, then you know what? I spend time getting to know Him. I read the Bible. I pray. I go to church. I'm plugged in with other people. And I've got role models here on earth that I say, hey, you know what? I want to be like you. Let me give you an example. You're going to follow people? You want to respect people? Then let me just, before I close, you know, the Bible says, Paul says, be an imitator of me. Be an exa- I'm your example. You can follow me. But you know what? Just not me, but many of those. Look at what he's saying. Join with others in following me. Let me give you a little warning here. You should never have one person in your life, a single person in your life, that you follow exclusively. There's going to be many role models you're going to have in different areas of life. Roberto Clemente may not have been the best father and husband. He may not have been the best academic scholar. So I wouldn't follow him in every area of my life. There's other role models that I followed. Maybe he didn't even have a love for God, but he did have a love for baseball, and that passion is what I learned from. But then there were people I came across that have a passion and a love for, for God. I say, hey, I want, to, I want to be like that. Never follow one person exclusively. And make sure the person that you're following is in love with God. Just loves the Lord. Loves His Word. And loves to be obedient. When he is disobedient, he owns up to it, acknowledges it, and turns from it. That's the kind of role model that we need. You know what? It's interesting. And let me just give you a real quick thought here. Three things. Number one, if you're going to follow somebody, choose your mentors very carefully. Choose your mentors very carefully. It's not a flippant thing. Give it a good hard look and analyze them. And that, and that also has to do with study their private lives. It's easy to put on a show in public, but I'll tell you what, before I'm going to imitate somebody, the first thing that I'd do is I'd go interview their husband or wife. You go, hey, I want to be like your husband. She's like, nah, I hope not. Say, okay, I'm moving on to the next one. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? You know what? I, I want to be like you in business. And you go talk to some of their employees or some of their customers or some of their suppliers and you go, yeah, lying, stinking, pond scum, cheat. Nah, I don't think I want to be like them. So you move to the next one. You see what I'm saying? I mean, we need to examine their private lives carefully. And then the third thing is this. And you know what? If you want to follow somebody, then spend time with them regularly. Spend time with them. And that's how you'll learn how they handle certain things, how they deal with certain things, how they respond to certain things. I mean, I'll tell you what, you look at, I'll give you an example like on the Angels right now. When Rod Carew's around, the Angels' team batting average goes up 30 points. When he was away, when his daughter was sick and dying and, and, she, and he was gone, man, that, that team batting average just went in the toilet. They say, why? You know why? Because he's around them regularly, and he sees and observes things that a casual person would never observe. He can tell them to make a little adjustment. It makes all the difference in the world. That's why when anybody is there to instruct another person, they've got to, be, they've got to have an eye for detail. They've got to be looking at little things that the rest of the people are just out watching everything else. They're not seeing how he throws or how he runs or how he steps or how, how he has a hitch in his swing. You know, a person that's a mentor watches every little movement of that person's life and then adjusts and gives, and gives counsel. And the only way you can do that is you've got to be around that person on a regular basis. Now, as true as it is to follow godly examples, it's equally true to reject those that are ungodly. He says, For as I have often told you before, and now I say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. What he's saying is, hey, you know what? It may be okay to use Roberto Clemente Chuck as a role model in the area of athletics and discipline and all the rest of it. But you know what? If he doesn't love God and love the Lord with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and if he's not following him on a regular basis, and if he's not admitting when he's doing things that are wrong and, and turning 
turning from those wrong things to do that which is right, then he's not the role model that you want as far as building the character in your life. Now, you may be able to take bits and pieces from a lot of people's lives, but what I'm saying to you is this. We have got to learn the difference of people that we're going to follow. And the people that you want to follow are people that love the Lord with all their heart. They love the Lord to the point where they know what's right or wrong. They know what the rules are. When they're disobedient to the rules, they are sorry, they confess it, they stop doing it, they move forward, and they obey the rules. That's the person that you want. He's saying, you know what, look at these people. Don't follow these people. Their destiny is destruction. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is what? Destruction. There are a whole lot of people we're going to come across in life, and it seems like the right thing to do, but their end is destruction. I was talking to a friend who's an executive in a construction company, and he says, you know what, Chuck, the hardest thing is I look around at other construction companies, and I see how they build their businesses. I see how they treat their subcontractors. I see how they treat other people around them. I see how much more money they make by the things that they're doing. And my only counsel was simply this. But you know what? It seems right, but their end is destruction. And too many of God's people look around at other people and see what they seem to believe. They're getting away with things and think that's how I'm going to conduct myself and that's how I'm going to do it from now on and that's the example that I'm going to follow. And God says, don't follow their example. Don't follow their example because it seems right to them but their end is destruction. And for God's people, the wonderful news is when you have the Spirit of God living within you and you start to even think that way, the Holy Spirit's saying to you, that's not even a smart way to think. Don't even give it a second thought. Because what they're doing is wrong and their end is destruction. Payday one day, what you sow is what you're going to reap. So don't even fall for it. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. And their mind is on earthly things. The bottom line is you're going to follow somebody. Follow somebody whose mind is on God. Is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do because God says it's right or wrong? Don't follow people whose minds on the earth because all they're going to do is get you in a lot of trouble. And most of it is, hey, they're living for pleasure. They, you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. They're living for pleasure. They're living for possessions. They're living for more money and all this accumulation of stuff. But you know what? And now you don't have any joy in their life. Some of the most miserable people that I know are people that have everything the world has to offer and nothing of what God has to offer. And they're miserable because of it. Number three, remember we're going to heaven. Remember you're heaven bound. You want to anticipate something for those who don't anticipate birthdays anymore? Then you can anticipate the fact that you're going to heaven. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you become a child of God. Those who believe in him have received him to those who believe in his name. The Bible says, you know what? Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if it wasn't so, I wouldn't have told you that. But because I am, one day I'm coming back and I'm going to take you where I am. He says, but, but, contrast to the ungodly person who all they have to live for is today. He said, but what you have to live for is this. Your citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await in a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You know, some of us don't have much to look forward to anymore. But I want to ask you something. I thought about this as much as, man, you know, when you're going through two-a-day practices or when you're in the middle of a tough school year or when you're in the middle of a career or a job that you're maybe not too excited about and you're looking forward to that day when you're not going to do that anymore. You know what? Sometimes when life gets kind of tough, how many of you really look forward to the day that you're going to be in heaven? I'll tell you, man, it changes your whole attitude about the present. Why? Because they're temporary afflictions. This isn't going to last forever. I don't care if you got terminal, quote, terminal cancer and you suffer with it for two years or whatever. It's not going to last forever. Forever is eternity, and that'll last forever, and that's when we're going to be in the presence of God, and there will be no more suffering. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more aggravation and frustration. It's going to be awesome. And he's saying, we eagerly wait for that. I cannot wait. Let me tell you something. You see those bumper stickers, the worst day, whatever. The worst day in heaven is a hundredfold better than the best day you'll ever have here on earth, folks. The Bible says you will never, ever be disappointed. You know how sometimes we anticipate something, you get there and go, man, that was a letdown. You ain't going to feel that way in heaven. You're going to be like, whoa! There's going to be a whole bunch of people going, whoa! Even real conservative Baptist people don't really say much about anything. They're going to be going, Whoa! 
they even lift their hands up. Oh, praise God. Oh, they're going to be going crazy. Would you please stand and sing? You people are like, oh, I'll stand and sing. Would you clap your hands? Oh, okay, I'll clap my hands. i clap my For a whole song, I'll clap my hands? Yeah, for a whole song. You're going to be running around heaven going, oh, oh. And we're going to look at you, and I'm going to laugh, and I'm going to come over to you and say, remember, you wouldn't even stand up and clap your hands in songs. That church is great. You're going nuts now. Isn't that great? Yeah. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. I love this stuff. And you know what? I mean, look what he says. Hey, saying this, you know what? And, and how, how do we know he's going to do this? How do we know he's the ability to do it? Here's how we know. By the same power that he uses to sustain the universe is the same power that he's going to use to transform your miserable condition and my miserable condition. Remember when Jesus went to, went to a crowd and said, hey, what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven or tell this guy he hasn't walked ever in his life to stand up and walk? You remember the story? And they went, oh, well, it's a lot easier to say your sins are forgiven. He said, okay, well, I'm going to forgive this man's sins and so that you know I have the power to forgive sin. Get your butt up and walk. That's the New Living Version. That's what he said. <laughs> and a guy jumped up and he walked. He never walked in his life. And the people went crazy and they went wild. And what was he saying? Hey, look, just as I can have control over the physical universe, I also have control over the spiritual universe and the same power that I can use to raise people from the dead and to get people off the ground and to have people that were blind to be able to see again is the same power. You think it's any harder for me to transform your dead spiritual condition into a live one? No way. It's the same power that he has. It's the same power. And you know what? And that's why I know it's not based on my ability, but it's based on his power. It's God's power to transform a dead person that's dead spiritually and gives them the power and, and, and the spirit to become a live person spiritually. The same power that he holds the earth in its orbit is the same power that he takes a person who is dead to God and makes him alive to God. That isn't hard for him. And all it takes is you to surrender your life to him. And he can do the same for you. And number four, we read this. He says, remain steadfast, but not standing still. Remain steadfast and not standing still. I like that. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, this is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. You want to have joy in the present as you anticipate your future? Don't compromise today. Don't compromise today. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. Don't sell out today. Stand firm today. For my friend is running a business and he watches people around him and the way that they conduct themselves, my, my counsel is stand firm today. You do what's right today. If you're an athlete, you do what's right today. You give it 100% today. If you're a student, you give it 100% today. And you don't always look forward to the day you're out of school and you can't wait to graduate. Hey, you, just, you, you do what's right today. If you're a husband, if you're a father, you do what's right today. And as I told Carlos and Tavia, if you train up your child in the way she should go today, this moment in time, then you don't have to worry about what he's going to be doing 20 years from now. If you do what's right today, you don't have to worry about whether you'll strike out when you get up with the bases loaded because you're practicing hard today. You're making the adjustments today. For what? So that one day when you get in the game, you'll be successful at that point in time. You go down to the field and you practice today. You go out and you run today. And tomorrow takes care of itself. So many people dog it today. They have no discipline nor determination today. And then they get put into the game and they fail miserably. Why? Because when no one else is looking, I'll guarantee you, those who make the Olympic team, those who will be successful, those who win gold medals, are people that didn't lay on the couch when no one was looking and turn on Oprah and eat some ho-hos and ding-dongs and bonbons. They were people that were out training today and running when nobody else was looking. There were people getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and they were going out and training when everybody else was, was in bed sleeping. There were people that were passing up on certain food when their friends were eating it. They were passing up on parties and drinking when their friends were going there and doing it. They were making some sacrifices today so that one day they can anticipate the glory that would be theirs as they were successful in the race that they were going to run. Man, I'll tell you what. You know what? We all want to stand on the platform. We all want the rewards. We all want the prizes. We all want the gold medals. We all want the accolations. We all want the crowd to stand and give us this. But we're not willing to get off the couch today to do something about it. 
You see, that's what life is all about. We all want the rewards, but none of us wants to pay the price. It's time that we remember that we remain steadfast, but it doesn't mean you stand still. You get up off the couch and you do something today. You know what? I like what one lady says. I'll close on this because I can't talk no more. <laughs> but you know what? Some of us get kind of frustrated, you know, by the things that go on around us. And this is what she writes. And her book says, Splashes of Joy in the Cesspools of Life. She says this, The rain falls on the just and also on the unjust. But you know what? It falls chiefly on the just because the unjust keep stealing the umbrellas of the just. I like that. You know what? And that's the world that we live in. And it's messed up. But I'll tell you what. If you're doing what you're supposed to do today and you have joy today, there are going to be a whole lot of people around you in your life. They're going to look to you. And you're going to be the only sense of joy that they see. You're going to only sense the direction that they find. And they're going to ask you, hey, well, how in the world can you smile in the middle of the mess that you're in? And you can tell them plain and simple, you know what? because I believe that God's in control of all things. I've given my life to Jesus Christ and I believe that I've been born again because God says so and it's His power that makes me new. And He gives me the, the contentment and the joy and the peace in a moment such as this so that people like you will come who are lost, who are looking for a sense of direction. God, we need more people like that, don't we? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your truth. God, I just pray that each one of us that are here would recognize how true it is and that would go out as we anticipate the future and have joy in the present. We just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.